So I actually had a friend come out to me and she was really nervous because she knew I was a Christian and she had come out to a few other Christians before me and hadn't had a good experience. I just remember saying to her, you're still the same person. Like, you're, you're still my friend, I love you. This is Down to Earth Conversations, where we hear from ordinary people who are helping to bring a bit of heaven down to earth. Kia ora. welcome to another episode of Down to Earth Conversations with me, your host, Andy Dixon. If you're listening to this in real time, this week is four years since 51 people died and many more were injured in the mosque terror attacks here in Ōtautahi Christchurch. So many lives were affected and those people are on my mind this week. If you haven't already, it's well worth heading to episode 59 to hear my kōrero with Muhammad Hassan, who is Muslim himself and also came as a journalist to cover the aftermath of the attacks, while also helping the local Muslim community in very practical ways. Also something that's happening at the end of this week is the Awaken Conference run by Diverse Church, which is New Zealand's network for LGBT plus Christians, and it featured on episode 46 in my corridor with founder Craig Watson. Craig will of course be featuring at the conference, as will other former guests Jeremy Farmwina and Charlotte Cummings, and several future guests will be sharing, such as In The Shift podcast host Michael Frost. So if you're listening to this before Friday, March 17, 2023, there's still time to get tickets if you'd like to come to that. And that brings us nicely to today's episode with my wonderful guest, Kieran Maxwell. I asked Kieran to come onto the podcast because an often overlooked way of doing good in the world is simply raising children. Kieran and her husband, Glenn, have four children and they celebrate them so well. Kieran hasn't come on as a parenting expert, but simply to share her journey of celebrating and loving her children through whatever comes. And that includes the many curveballs that are just part and parcel of parenting. In this conversation, Karen and I talk about journeying with one of her children in the area of sexuality and identity, and then walking with other of her children who developed various levels of uncontrollable tics over the last few years. I think there is so much in this conversation, whether you're a parent or not, because in the end it's simply about how we love people, how we treat them, and how we value them as human beings. This is episode 66 of Down to Earth Conversations. Here's Karen Maxwell. Kia ora. Welcome to the podcast, Karen Maxwell. It's good to have you here. Thank you. Good to be here. Nor here, Kwe. Who, who are you? Tell us a bit about yourself. Um, I am a mum to four. I am a wife. Um, I also love to sing and play guitar, although I haven't played guitar in a long time. But yeah, I used to be a cake decorator and now I am an early childhood teacher. Awesome. Are you enjoying the transition into that? I am, yeah. It's challenging um, and very different to what I was doing, but um, no, it's good. It has its rewarding moments and tough moments. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a good balance of both. It's a pretty fundamental life stage to be involved in, in some for someone else's kids. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think about, like, we've had wonderful kindy teachers with our kids, and 
it's made a huge difference. Yeah, definitely. You know, having that, the, the influence in that early childhood education stage is so huge and, yeah, not always easy, I would imagine. No. Um, <laughs> given given the, the sorts of behaviours and things that that age group can do. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it can be very interesting. And um, obviously with your own kids, yeah, it can almost be easier to deal with. But no, it's good. It's I do like that it's challenging. You know, it pushes yeah. me to, you know, be better and work on things. And yeah, yeah, nice. So, no, it's good. But you talked about cake decorating, and I, I was thinking of when when we first met, we were at church together. Yeah. Um, and before I kind of really knew who you were, you were simply that one that makes the awesome cakes, <laughs> and and that's how Bex is like. Oh, you you know that one. The one who makes the awesome cakes. Oh, yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, I know who you're talking about now. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've seen your cakes over the years and they're just phenomenal. <laughs> Thank you. But um, how did you get into all of that? Um, that was just having kids. So, yeah, I um, I, I actually had a, I mean, she's like an auntie, but, you know, not actually f- related to us. But um, she used to make not all the time, but she would often make uh, cakes for me growing up and it was the ones from Australian Women's Weekly. So I got to, you know, go over to her place and look through that and choose which one I wanted and she would make it. Um, And that was really exciting. And then when she had her kids, so I was like a couple of years older than her eldest, um, I would go over when she was making their um, cakes and, you know, watch the process and, yeah. Yeah, nice. I mean, it wasn't always. I can just remember at least one or two times that I got to be there for that. Um, But, yeah, so that was really cool. So when I had my kids, I was like, um, you know, I'm getting my copy of the Australian Women's Weekly and I'm going to, you know, do that same tradition because I love that so much. Um, So I think with our eldest, we started with the number one um, cake and just made it simple. Um, I think all of them got – oh, no, Bella got balloons or something, but – the first ones were really bad. <laughs> I mean, they're not too bad. Like, yeah, I actually got Glenn to help me a lot. Um, Glenn's my husband, for those who don't know. Um, and he did the buttercream. Like, he was really good at, like, making it really smooth and everything. And then I would just do the decorating. Um, yeah, so for ages, like about, I don't know, nine years, we would do it together with all the kids' birthdays. And then when our second eldest was seven, I that year I turned 30 and he made me this really big three-tiered cake for my 30th and it was all fondant and it was a nightmare for him <laughs> and he really struggled with it. And at the end, so my birthday is in April, at the end he was like, I'm not doing cakes ever again. Like, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, he yeah. was like, I'll support you yeah. how you need, you know, when and how you need it, but um, it's on you now. <laughs> And so the next birthday in the family was Bella's seventh birthday and she wanted a Hannah Montana cake. And um, we had only just started working with fondant, like maybe that year or the year before, like we'd always just done buttercream before that. And so I just watched a bunch of YouTube videos over and over again and I still have the photo of me holding the cake and being all like so excited that I'd actually covered it and it looked okay like smooth (laughs) rounded edges but smooth um and now I'm known for my like real sharp edges (laughs) so it's come a long way but um yeah so and the Hannah Montana on top of that cake was like 
terrible. It's it's quite funny <laughs> my first take. Like her legs just kind of went along the rounded edges. They were like spaghetti legs. <laughs> funny. Um, yeah, so it's quite a laugh. Oh, you got to got to start somewhere though. Yeah, exactly. You? And there's been a few times over the years where I've had the opportunity to share that first cake and then where I've come from and that's always quite cool to look back and you know see how far you've come and yeah but that's really where it started was just having the kids and wanting to you know make them a cool cake and yeah nice yeah and then I found that I actually really liked decorating so I went from being scared of fondant to loving it. You say you kind of sort of stumbled into the cake decorating stuff but you're also like a musician, a singer, you know, creativity is obviously part of life. Is it yeah. always been something that's been part of life? Yeah, I've always loved it. Um, I got an award in primary school for music and it was the first time where I had been recognised for my love of music, um, nice. that kind of setting and because I had no idea I was getting the award. Um, so it was a huge surprise to me. I think I was, I don't know, 10 or 11 at the time. And, um, yeah, that was really cool. And then I went to high school and, you know, did music and everything through there and uh, wasn't recognised like primary school. <laughs> but um, but I still loved it. And, yeah, it just kind of grew from I would just come home and play guitar and basically taught myself. I did get music lessons like I played sax and flute and things like that that I got lessons for when I was younger but um I never could keep going with those I think because I love singing and obviously they're you know wind and stick something in your mouth at the same time so when I found guitar I was like oh this is really cool because you can sing and play yeah and so I just kind of yeah learned like you know taught myself and it's quite cool my youngest is doing the same at the moment although he is way more advanced than I was at 13 <laughs> with what he's playing. Um, but he's done the same, well, not the same thing because we didn't have YouTube then, but he's learning from YouTube and, you know, teaching himself that way. Um, but, yeah, just kind of did that. And, yeah, I loved it. And then being involved at church, you know, obviously um, my uh, parents were pastors, so I grew up in the church and, um I just remember always with worship, like I used to love harmonizing with, you know, that and singing and doing all that stuff. And then when I was a teenager, I uh, went to a different church in the city and started getting involved with their um, worship bands. And yeah, just loved that aspect of church. And I found I found that when I was at school that it was a real advantage to be part of a community like a church because lots of the others that I had in my music classes the music class was the only place where they got to show anyone else their music yeah kind of ever um until we got to senior high school and people were getting into bands and things like that but yeah um but yeah I got to play you know most weeks at church and yeah as I you know as I started learning drums they were like oh we don't have a drummer so would you like to tinker away in the background and yeah you know it was it was a chance to grow and make mistakes and you know, all of that stuff. And so a huge amount of um, why I ended up with the life that I've got musically and stuff goes back to that chance that I had of, of being able to outwork it all the time. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. I ended up having an all-girl band at school. <laughs> at nice. School. What were you called? We were called Leash. 
it sounds weird because we it sounds like it would be a real metal band, but it really wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> it was very heavily Christian influenced and um yeah, I can laugh about it now. But I think I had some analogy about something about being tethered to God or something, you know, like oh, yep. leash, some kind of right. thing that I can't remember exactly. So it would have been more metal if you'd call it unleashed. Yeah, true. So <laughs> Yeah. But no, that was cool. We uh, got to play at church a couple of times and yeah all good fun yeah oh i mean i could keep talking about music and creativity and stuff <laughs> all day but um one of the reasons i wanted to get you on to chat is actually about the fact that you and glenn have four kids mm-hmm. which i mean that's going to keep you busy just because there's four of them yeah um but you know um i've looked kind of through social media mostly at your parenting journey and i think one of the things that made me go hey would you come on here is i just noticed how much you celebrate your kids and whether it's through challenges they're going through whether it's through you know awards they've got at school you're just always celebrating them Mm -hmm. Um, and you know I I looked at that like I don't know if I know anyone else who celebrates their kids quite as openly and as much as you do (laughs) and I thought that's just like really really cool and so I wanted to get you on and kind of talk about parenting and talk about your journey there because you've also had some curveballs thrown your way along the the journey and things that you you know you wouldn't have prepared for yeah Um, so yeah so let's let's have a chat about some of that so I guess to start with you know what do you love most about parenting I just think it's cool watching them grow you know um seeing them go through different stages and you know, I always remember when they were little, you just were always wondering what they're going to be like when they're older. Um, or even before they were born, what are they going to look like? You know, there's just so many surprises along the way and some are good and some are hard. But it's just amazing seeing these kids grow and turn into adults. Yeah. I really like what you said there about some are good and some are hard. You didn't say some are good and some are bad. No. Because yeah. actually, you know, there's things that, that come our way that, that's just how they are yeah and they can be really hard but just because it's different than what we're expecting doesn't necessarily make it bad yeah exactly Um, and again I think that's something that comes through a lot in the way that you publicly share your um your journey of parenting thinking of that what has surprised you the most about parenting compared to what you were expecting it to be like um probably just you can never predict how it's going to go you know like um I remember when we were pregnant with our first and we're at the midwife and we're talking about the birth plan and we're making a plan and she's going, cool, and what's the next plan if that one doesn't work out, you know, how you hope it will work out, Um, you know, and you end up with like three or four different birth plans for different scenarios. Um, And I think in some ways it was a great way to start because our first scenario did not (laughs) happen. Yeah, right, well. Um, and I actually ended up not having not only my main midwife but the backup. So I ended up in hospital with just whoever was on, who ended up being amazing. Um, she was great, and it was a, you know, I just went into it being really positive. But I guess that is kind of how I've gone into the whole thing mm. over the years is just trying to be positive and knowing that, yeah, you just can't predict where it's going to go. Yeah, doing the best with, you know what you have (laughs) yeah and every time you think you've got it sorted 
then something else comes along. Eh? Yeah. I, I know we, we had one and then we're like, oh, yeah, we kind of know what we're doing now. So we had another one and it's like, this is not the same. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, we thought it was just going to be like a replica. Um, yes, we had the same. I don't know, I don't know how you get fooled into that because you know that everybody's different. But yeah. you just go, oh, you know, we know what we're doing now. But no. We didn't know what we were doing at any stage, really. Our eldest was a really easy, like, go-with-the-flow kind of baby, and we were very uh, blessed at the time with that. Um, They slept through from, you know, I don't know, three or six weeks, like, really young. Um, And then the second came along and was just like, I'm not the same. (laughs) I'm not the same person. And, yeah, uh, she definitely struggled a lot more. And, um, I mean, later we found out... she had celiac disease so I think right yeah there was a lot of struggle in the first um, few months with that which we didn't know at the time but yeah it just was definitely a oh wow they're not the same that's not a carbon copy (laughs) yeah and then you have to adjust and yeah navigate that change how you do things and yeah yeah it's it's a very complicated process yeah I think what helped us with you know having to adjust and things like that um, was actually going back to our premarital counselling <laughs> that yeah, we cool. got. Um, yeah. And, yeah, the people who did that with us just kind of, well, the main things that I remember is having good communication, <laughs> um, making sure that's good, and then also um, renegotiating. So throughout our whole marriage and then also with the kids, you know, when different things have cropped up, we always, you know, try to make time to, renegotiate where we're at and you know just communicate yeah. with each other and that's really helped with the kids as well when we've had stuff crop up with them yeah what's the most not necessarily the most challenging situation but the most challenging aspect of parenting for you what, what do you find hardest about being a parent I don't know probably just worrying about them you know you yeah you can't you can do all you can do to be there for them and you know, help them when they need help or whatever. But um, at the end of the day, they, it's their own journey and their own life and you, you can't control everything. Not that I would want to, but, you know, you've got to let them go and let them have time to be their own person and figure out stuff for themselves. Um, but that's really hard also because, you know, innately you want to protect them and, you know, keep them from harm and there is just, you know, you're not, you can't be there 24-7 and you just kind of have to hope and pray that they're going to be okay. And when they're going through stuff, that's even harder. Yeah, totally. Yeah. No, I, I hear that when I started digging into my mental health and figuring out you know, why I respond the way that I do in, in certain circumstances, one of the big things for me based on a trauma as a kid was the need to be in control. And parenting is just not something you can be in control of all the time. No. Like you can't control how your kids respond to you, you know, any of those things. And, you know, it's it's an everyday challenge for me of how am I going to respond? And, you know, I'm getting triggered by my children. Yeah. But that's not, you know, it's not their fault. I had a trauma when I was younger. Yeah. Um, how do I process it? How do I change it? How do I not leave them with a trauma from, you know, the way that I respond to them? But yeah. definitely that, that thing about you know, wanting to be in control, but there's just like, if, if you were in the sort of relationship with your kids where you were in control of everything, it would be yeah. because they're afraid of you, you know, like yeah, yeah, totally I can't see any other way that that would happen. No. You know, if, if you're wanting them to 
to be people that can operate well in the world, you want them to be able to make their own decisions and you want them to be able to learn from bad choices. Yeah. Rather than stopping them from ever making them, you know? So Yeah. Um yeah, I totally I hear that. That's that's a real challenge. Yeah, and I've definitely had times like when they were younger, you know, I felt like I yelled a lot. <laughs> yeah. And then I would beat myself up because I was like, you know, is this going to be setting them up for having issues later in life because I couldn't be cooler in that moment. <laughs> yeah. You know, calmer. I hear um, that. Yeah. So, yeah, you definitely kind of go along and you're trying to do the best you can do, but then you're also human and you've yeah. got your own stuff you're dealing with and sometimes that leeches out and, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've talked about it on the podcast before, but for me, I had to have a mind shift between I'm going to be the perfect parent and do everything right to show them this is how you're supposed to be, like the, this is the perfect person you're supposed to try and be like. Um, and now it's like, no, actually I want to demonstrate to them what do you do and how do you keep relationship when you muck up? Yeah. You know, when, you, when you've when you done the yelling, what do I do then? Yeah. And what is that teaching them? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we often, um, uh, you know, if there was a time where we were yelling, it would often be followed up with, like, once I had calmed down, with I'm really sorry, you know, and I've, you know, I'm feeling this, you know, trying to show them that, yeah, I've got stuff I'm dealing with, not giving them too much, you know, that they don't need to know, but just enough for them to know, okay, mum's having a hard time, but she's apologising for, you know, I mean, even yesterday in the supermarket <laughs> with my 13-year-old, we were um, we had a plan to pick up the Maddie who's fifteen from the train, and um, she was supposed to get in around four thirty, and she'd missed her train. And I had to pick up the shopping between four thirty and five, like you know, click and collect. And she, I get a message when we're at the supermarket: I'm not going to get in until five fifteen. And I was tired after a really long day. Um, Glenn's recovering from shoulder surgery at the moment, so I'm doing all the dropping off and picking up where he would usually um, do most of that. And, yeah, so I was really tired, didn't want to be there, and was getting really frustrated. And Zeke was fine, but I felt bad for being frustrated because he was asking me stuff and I was kind of replying in a, you know, gruff manner. (laughs) Yeah, and so, yeah, even yesterday I was saying, hey, man, I'm really sorry. I'm just, it's not you. I'm not frustrated at you. I'm just frustrated at the situation and I'm tired and I just want to be home. I don't want to be here right now. (laughs) Um, And that's kind of what they've grown up with, you know, where I'm trying to, um, I don't know, just be real with them. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, and you can't judge everyone's whole journey from what you see on social media. Yeah. But there, there does tend to be an authenticity to the way that you and, Glenn parent yeah um, and and the way that like you you're not putting yourselves out there as perfect parents I guess is what I'm saying yeah yeah um, I've noticed you celebrating your kids and that's what got me really excited but it wasn't yay they're turning out exactly how we want it you know <laughs> it's not yeah. we did a good job you know it's yeah. it's wow you know it's almost like well in spite of all the ways we could have messed them up yeah, yeah. now yay <laughs> um, which is really cool um for this next bit, I want to focus in on your journeys with a couple of your kids in particular. Yep. And um, just to make it clear for the listeners, you've talked to all four of your kids and got permission to have these conversations. Yeah. Um, 
but the focus on here is your journey with them rather than them in particular. So, um, yeah, feel free to say things or not say things as, as you feel comfortable to. Um, but first of all, let's talk about, um, your journey around the, the area of sexuality. Mm -hmm. Um, you, you were raised in church. What were you raised to think about in regards to sexuality, LGBT community, you know, that sort of thing? Um, basically that it was for a man and a woman, um, that God designed it and that sex was good, but after marriage and yeah, I remember one time my mom actually took me away like just for a mum and daughter time. Yeah. And then I found out when we were on the trip that it was to talk about that <laughs> kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and yeah, she had brought up, um, well, obviously it wasn't LGBTQ yeah. then. It was just homosexuality. But, um, yeah, and so it was kind of letting me know that that happens, um, but it's not what God designed for us. Um, yeah, and then as I grew and had my own thoughts around things, I don't know, I just felt like there was more to it just being not right. You know, like initially I thought – well, yeah, you can only make a child between a man and a woman, so, and God designed that, so that mm-hmm. must be right, right? So that kind of backed up my own beliefs on how wrong it was to be anything other. But, yeah, once we were older, like, you know, married and ha- having our own kids, I don't know, it sounds silly, but I used to watch a lot of daytime TV when the kids were little, and I would happen across a lot of Oprah things where there were, you know, I remember one about a transgender guy and his journey and then other parents who were dealing with their kids coming out. And I would watch all of these things and just be like, but how, because some of the kids who, you know, were coming out were dealing with families who were basically like, you don't exist anymore. Um, and, you know, I just kind of looked at it and was like, how could you just not how could you cut your child off for them feeling this way? Um, it just didn't make sense for me. And then also relating it to God or to the God that I, you know, believe, I was like, well, just always believe that if Jesus was here in person and, you know, there were a group of people in a room, it's not like he's going to just disregard the LGBTQ people in the room. Like he will want to embrace them and, talk with them and include them and love them and that's kind of how I've always felt with it so I actually had a friend come out to me and um, she was really nervous because she knew I was a Christian and she had come out to a few other Christians before me and hadn't had a good experience and um, I just remember saying to her you're still the same person like you're you know you're still my friend I love you thanks for telling me you know and yeah because I just feel like that's how I feel Jesus would want us to be, you know, to embrace and to welcome and to love and not to shun and, you know, turn away. That's how I am. (laughs) And it has been the same with, you know, everyone. But, yeah. And so can you just share a little bit about your journey with Tam and and them exploring their sexuality and and that kind of thing? So Tam was born Taylor and – she, she was born a she, a, a girl, and um, 
in my opinion was the most beautiful baby <laughs> like she was just yeah a little doll um but when she grew she I think it was probably around well we didn't find out anything until year end of year nine so they were 14 and um we were just actually driving home from the train and um she said I need to tell you something and I mean it's not verbatim but basically said came out and said that she was bisexual and it was kind of great that we're in the car because you know you can't get away not that I'd want to but it was just kind of the perfect opportunity because it was just us and we had the drive and we could just talk and yeah and we also obviously I had to look at the road so she didn't have to deal with me you know yeah yeah the eye contact thing's not a not as big yeah. a deal and so yeah it was like okay that's cool and you know just talking normally and so again I just told her I'm saying <laughs> yeah I'll get to that in a second um that you know I still loved her and yeah just confirmed our love and that it didn't bother me and you know and that I was really grateful that she could tell us that and then over time um I mean high school was pretty tough for her she you know was dealing with figuring that out but then also there was a journey with her um sexuality so it went from bisexual to um pansexual to then lesbian and now we're back at bi. But on top of that, they also figured out that their pronouns were not she, her, but they, them. So now when I talk about them, I'll be saying they, them, um, which can be confusing for people because obviously you think that I'm talking about multiple people. Um, And at the time it was confusing for us too. Um, But every time they would talk to us and kind of tell us where they were at, I was just always really grateful that they were actually able to yeah. know, tell us and talk to us and be um, open because I know it was really hard for them. I think that says a lot about the environment that you and Glenn had created. Yeah. That, that they felt comfortable to talk to. Well, I don't know whether they felt comfortable, yeah. but they still felt that you could be approached with this um, yeah. and that it wasn't going to be the end of the world, um, which, like you say, in some families, especially families – that have Christian heritage, yeah. Um, that can be really extreme, yeah. Um, and there are countless stories of people in those sort of situations who are suddenly out of the family, yeah. Um, but for you to have created this environment where not only did they know that wasn't going to happen, but actually that you would be supportive, I think is is a testament to to how you had um, worked as parents. Yeah, and I mean, you know, there's a lot that they haven't told us that we've found out later. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but for them to be able to say the main, you know, the main stuff that they needed us to know was great. Um, and I mean, yeah, there's other stuff that would have been great for us to know at the time, but we often found things out way later. But that's having teenagers though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was a really tough time because not only, I mean, as a parent... And coming from a Christian background, I'm not going to say it's not what I wanted for them or that not what I wanted to hear, but it's more you have this dream or this thing that you think 
And I, I took a wee while to just kind of go, uh, there was almost like a mourning period, you know, of kind yeah. of going, like mourning the thing that I thought they were going to have, like, um, you know, they're going to be married with a husband and have kids, you know, like this, you know, <laughs> dream in the future. There was kind of a, okay, I, I actually have to kind of mourn that thought that I had and kind of relook at things. And I just remember thinking one time, I think, again, it was in the car. I do a lot of thinking in the car. <laughs> um, and I just realized as I was heading out to pick them up that I just wanted them to be happy and for them to find someone who loved them for who they were. And it didn't matter who that person was, if they could look at Tam and, you know, love them with all their quirks and, you know, flaws and good things um, and make them feel great, then that was all that I wanted, you know. And so kind of having that realisation that it can be simple as that, you know, it doesn't, you know, you have to worry about if it's a, a guy or a girl or, you know, but just someone who loves them and who's going to um, encourage them and be there for them, um, then, yeah, that was a real turning point for me with kind of coming to terms with it not being how I thought it would be. And then the other part of that was just um, it didn't bother me that they were gay. It was just that, unfortunately, because they're gay, they're going to have a harder yeah. life now. You know, like they're going to deal with persecution and you know, people not being, not being happy with it doesn't sound right, yeah. but you know, like just, you know, their thoughts and views and, um, feeling that there's something wrong with them. Yeah. And yeah, that they're not quote unquote normal, which, you know, is ridiculous now, but <laughs> yeah, it's just, yeah, you just want your kids to have a good life. I think about some, some of the arguments that I've heard from within Christian circles that involve, oh, they're just opting for the easy way out because it's like there is nothing easy No, about it's this. definitely the harder journey to take and to be true to yourself as well, to be true to yourself and feel proud that you're true to yourself but then dealing with hate and everything else that goes along with that. It's, it's yeah, not easy. I just want to pick up on um, the bit that you talked about that there was that period of mourning. Mm. And I think that's, I've heard that from a number of parents um, who've been in similar situations to you where I think there's, there is that thing where you've got to give yourself permission to mourn what your dream was for this person. Yeah. While at the same time, accepting and loving them for who they are. And I think that's, like I've heard of cases where people felt bad because they were morning and does this mean I don't love them or things but actually it's a letting go isn't it it's a yeah. realizing that that and, and it's your thing it's not it's not their thing it's your thing yeah but you have to grieve that and you have to process that or else that's going to come out in the future somewhere yeah and I think this can be the same for people who have dreams of their kids being you know having a certain job or you know like yeah you know they might be a doctor and they might want their kid to be a doctor or, you know, something like that. Yeah. Um, it doesn't just have to be totally. you know, related to LGBTQ, but yeah. Cause you can create all sorts of ideas about what your kids are going to be and do yeah. and, and all of that. And there are going to be times in, in all of our parenting journeys where we're going to have to grieve that actually 
that's actually not going to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a really important point as well. Yeah, definitely. What What advice would you give to other parents whose kids are going through this space of ex- exploration around sexuality and stuff? Mm-hmm. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is just to love them. Um, just love them through it all. And it's not easy at times because while they're figuring stuff out, they're also dealing with, well, potentially, I should say, <laughs> going off my journey. Tam was also dealing with, um, you know, bullying at school, um, then dealing with depression and anxiety. Um, so we had self-harm amongst it all. Um, social media these days doesn't help, you know, just everything that comes along with that. Um, so it's not just one thing, you know, the I don't envy our teenagers these days with what, you know, their world is like. Um, so I think just loving them and being there and giving them the space that they need as well. You know, you don't want to be too um, invasive, you know, like letting them know that you're there, but also not pushing them to share when they're not ready to share. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. And and again, I mean, the part of you that wants to be in control wants to know everything now. Yeah. But actually that might not be the best thing because the the child is still figuring out and try, trying to figure out how to even tell you some of it. Yeah. Um, and so pushing could cause some real problems. Yeah. Um, and I think hearing you, what seems to be the key thing that comes through all of what you've said is what you did was continue to keep the relationship and continue to build the relationship regardless of what was hard and, you know, what was different and, and all of that, having that commitment that actually this is a relationship we are not going to lose. Yeah, Um, definitely. And, you know, again, like seeing how you celebrate Tam is really exciting. And, you know, not that there's going to be no more, you know, challenges in that relationship. Yeah. But the fact that you're all still doing it together is just so great. Yeah. Like you say, this is not just a discussion about sexuality, really. This is a discussion about when things don't go the way that you were expecting them to go as a parent. And so like another part of your journey with things not going as you were expected is, is your journey with Bella over the last few years. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about her journey and yeah, yeah how that's impacted you as a parent? Yeah. So, um, Bella was, I can't remember if it was just before her 16th or just after, two weeks either side of her 16th, I can't remember which way, but um, oh, it was in 2020 because we had had all the lockdowns and the kids were just starting to go back to school after that really long, I think it was like three months lockdown or three something. Three months, yeah. Yeah. And Bella loved being at home. <laughs> she <laughs> didn't mind the lockdown. Um, I mean, she missed her friends, but she loved being at home. So she had a lot of anxiety around going back to school. Um, not that she was like necessarily telling us, but I mean, I knew, could tell it was there a bit. But um, yeah, Tam was with her. They were at the same school at that time and they were walking through the mall in Newmarket on their way to school and Tam 
texts me this video of Bella and is like, um, Mum, Bella can't stop doing this weird tick thing. And it was just a video of Bella kind of putting her head to her shoulder and going pew, pew, pew. And she just kept doing it. And at first, Tam was kind of like, you know, it was a, a little bit funny, but then she was also like, it's not stopping, <laughs> you know. And um, so, yeah, I was kind of like, okay, that's weird. Um, so we just kept in contact and I said, I kept checking and going, has it calmed down? And um, it hadn't. They, um, Tam, uh, sorry, Bella. <laughs> I tend to go through all the kids' names. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did that with the cat, the cats. Yeah, yeah. The other day, I went through everyone, including the dog, before I got to the child that I was actually (laughs) meaning. But um, yeah, so yeah, it didn't calm down, and so Glenn ended up going and picking her up from school and bringing her home. And yeah, it was. It wasn't. While it was out of the blue for Bella, I had actually seen. I'd been wondering about Zeke our youngest for a while because he had been having little like facial tics and whenever he would sit there and watch tv he'd make little kind of mm, 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 noises like constantly and so I had even taken him to the doctor um well just asked the doctor about him kind of like you know is it something to be concerned about and she wasn't too worried because he was quite young at the time um and he wasn't you know like it didn't really impact his life but Bella's were very much out there and she couldn't stop moving her head to her shoulder. So she was getting really sore, you know, pain in her neck and couldn't stop with this pew, pew, pew noise. Um, Which I imagine was extremely embarrassing as well. Yeah. And and when you have no control over it, um, it would be quite scary too. Yeah. So the next day we um, took her to the doctor and – got referred to the psychology group where we got four free sessions. And Bella says that wasn't super helpful. <laughs> I mean, even the psychologist was like, there's not a lot we can do for you, but we can try to help give you coping mechanisms or try to figure out what triggers you. And so in that sense, it was helpful. Um, we figured out that tiredness and anxiety was a trigger for her. Um, also lots of people. And when I look back, there were a few signs um, leading up to it where she would scare easily, like startle just really easily. And there were a few things that she would just kind of, just little head movements she'd do that we always thought were just funny little Bellaisms. Yeah, right. <laughs> and when we look back, we're like, oh, actually, that was probably a tick. And we just didn't realise because, you know, it was just a, a thing that she would kind of do. But, yeah, so... The school was really helpful. She actually had a friend, one of her best friends, also has been diagnosed with Tourette's like beforehand. So um, so we had already learned a little bit about it through her uh, journey. Um, so that was kind of helpful as well. But, yeah, after the psychology group, we had a referral to see people from Youthline, um, like it wasn't Youthline, I can't remember the name of the place, but that place has people from Youthline there and does stuff with kids first. Um, and so that was working with a doctor and a nurse, and then they have a team of people, which includes a neurologist and a psychologist and other people, where they bring your case to that 
team and they discuss it and figure out where to go from there. So our first meeting with them was getting like family background. And so it was me, Glenn, Bella, and we had Maddie and Zeke with us at that point, I think. Um, But yeah, we all went in and kind of, you know, had a big um, discussion together and just talked about family history. And then they just talked to Bella and we, you know, went and waited. And um, then she had another session with them where it was more like a catch-up, seeing how she had been going and basically where do we go from here. So from there we went and saw a neurologist and he did a bunch of tests and basically just said it looks like you have a form of Tourette's. But that's kind of as far as we got with an actual diagnosis. Okay. <laughs> um, we talked about medication she could go on, but she was about to start a new year of school at that stage and we kind of thought, like they'd lessened, they weren't as intense. Well, she probably wouldn't say that they had lessened that much, but they weren't like when it started where it was constantly. She would definitely know when a tick attack was going to happen. But, um, yeah, so she decided to start school first and see how she went before going on any medication. And in the end, she hasn't gone on any medication. And while she still has them now, they're not as intense as they used to be. So... That's been good. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, a full-on journey. And then Maddie even um, started getting them too. So three months right. after Bella got hers, Maddie started having them. So we would have dinner times where all three of them, because then they made Zeke's ones that were, you know, hardly there, kind of ramp up. And we'd have the three of them kind of start sparking each other off. And, I mean, it, sometimes it was hilarious. <laughs> And other times it was just like, oh, my gosh, what is happening? <laughs> but, yeah, but Bella ended up um, as a way to deal uh, with it for herself personally. She started a TikTok um, where she wanted to kind of raise awareness, you know, of what it was like to have tics. So she'd do, like, funny baking videos and things like that on there. And there was positive things that came from that and not so positive things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so she's not really on there now, but she did end up getting to be a part of a documentary um, recently that came from that too, but yeah. But so I'll pop a link to that in the show notes because yeah. Yeah, I've, I've watched that and it's super informative and um, and just, yeah, ask some, some really good questions about how things are and yeah. how we can support people and stuff. So um, Yeah, it was a shame that it, because it's only short, I think it's about 10 minutes. And um, the producer was amazing of that. She was so uh, respectful of Bella and, you know, wanting to make sure that she was okay throughout the whole process. Um, she really wanted to interview Glenn and myself as well to get, like, the parents', you know, view and how that was for us. But we just didn't have time. They only had 10 minutes for the documentary and, yeah, a lot to fit in there. So, yeah, but, no, it's really good. I guess – Thinking of it from from a parenting point of view, how challenging is that to see your child going through something like that where they just don't know what's going on? Yeah, um, it was really tough in the beginning because, again, you have that helpless feeling. There was really nothing we could do um, other than asking her what she needed from us and, you know, respecting that. Yeah, I just kind of kept trying to check in with her, like, what triggers you, you know, do you want me to see if you're okay or do you just want me to leave you alone? Like, you know, 
yeah. wanting to make sure that she was okay, but that also she knew that we were trying to be there for her if we could be. It was tough, but it's also like, because I'd have my sister and other, you know, friends kind of be like, how are you? Which was lovely. You know, it's nice to be checked in. But also it's kind of like, well, it's just life at the moment and you just kind of have to keep going. You know, like I, you just kind of have to keep moving through because I feel like if I stopped and kind of looked at it too much, maybe that would be harder for me, <laughs> you know. So you just kind of – and also it's not about me too much it's you know it's Bella who's really dealing with all the stuff at the moment so yeah I mean it's def- it was definitely tough to watch her go through it but yeah I always just kind of looked at well she's the one dealing with more than me right now I think that learning that it's not all about you is a really important step in parenting mm. and it goes back to that control thing as well and the the letting go of ideas and and all of that, that actually your job as a parent is to be there and to guide and to help to raise someone so that they can be them. Yeah. And to be there for them with all the challenges on the way. But it's actually not about you. And the, the good things that happen aren't about you. You know, the challenging things that happen aren't about you either. Yeah. So, yeah, it's... It's definitely a big lesson to learn and something that, yeah, like I say, you can see through all the different stories that we're talking about today. I think having empathy as well is a huge part of that as a parent. Yeah. Because if you can, you know, take that time to kind of put yourself in their shoes, have a think about what school might be like for them at the moment or what they're dealing with, it just kind of helps, I don't know, balance out your frustrations that you might be, you know, feeling with whatever their behavior might be. Um, and just realizing, well, hang on, what kind of day have they had? Or, you know, um, yeah, I've always been quite empathetic. So I think that's helped a lot as a parent. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really cool. I'm really grateful for having the chance to chat with you today about it. And yeah, thanks to all your kids as well for, for being okay with you coming and chatting about it um, because, yeah. you know, share, sharing stories, you know, there are, there will be other families out there with challenges and it's nice to know that we're not alone. Yeah. Um, and so for you and your kids um, and Glenn to be happy for you to come and share is a real gift to others. And I think there'll be many that will listen to this and, and be really touched by it. So um, yeah, thank you for that. Thank you for, uh, just being the person who celebrates so well, uh, whether it's celebrating by making cakes, whether it's you know celebrating your your family, it's a real joy to see your journey with that. So yeah, thank you for what you're doing to bring a bit of heaven down to earth. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Hello. I love that near the end, Karen boiled it all down to empathy. Walking with her kids as she and Glenn looked to understand before trying to guide. Focusing on what is going on underneath, rather than the face value behaviours that are far easier to concentrate on. That's a valuable thing to think about, no matter what relational dynamic is in play. 
Thank you, Kieran, for sharing your journey with us. Here is a blessing for you. Kieran, as you and Glenn continue to journey together as parents, may you find times to celebrate one another as much as you celebrate your kids, and may your relationship continue to flourish. In both good times and harder times, may you know peace, hope, joy and love, and may they bind you together as a whānau and spur you on in your journey together. May your children always know that they are loved and embraced for who they are, and may you continue to be a place of refuge for them, a safe place where they can come as their fully vulnerable selves, knowing there won't be even a hint of judgment. May your willingness as a whānau to share about your journey together inspire others as they look to live out authentically loving lives in their own family situations. May you continue to find moments of creativity that bring great joy to you and to those around you. And lastly, may you know you are seen, you are heard, and you are loved. Thanks to Strawn for the music and Rangi for the karakia. Join me next time when I chat to Kath B about her work as a musician for children, her past life as a teacher aide in schools working with some of society's most vulnerable, and the song she was commissioned to write for Etu Tangata that went on to win Best Song at last year's New Zealand Children's Music Awards. Until then, me inoi tato. E tō mātahu matua i te rangi Kia tapu tō ingoa Kia tau mai tō rangatira tanga Kia mea te tau e pai ai ki runga ki te whenua Kia rite anō ki tō te rangi Humai kia mātou ai nei He taro mā mātou mō tēnei rā Mūro mātou hara Me mātou hoki e muru nei I o te hunga E hara ana kia mātou Aua hoki mātou e kawea Kia whakawaia E ngari whakorangia mātou I te ki